I don't know about you, and I hope this is you, but I hope you live with great expectations. You know, that's a prophetic word today, great expectations, that there is a future and a hope that we don't necessarily see, but we feel it and we sense it. We know it's there. It's, 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 we're going to walk right into it if we continue to seek the Lord. Somebody say amen. You just, you just keep seeking the Lord and you're going to have one encounter with God after another. I'm just telling you, amen? And so, you know, we talk about this uh, great expectations. This is the third part of my series is uh, today is take up your mat and walk. Get up and walk. Get up and do something. Get up. Rise up. Take up your pallet. Take up your, your, your mat and walk. And so uh, my message to you has been that as we press forward, and is there really any way to go for a child of God except pressing forward? You know, when we hold still, we're eventually going to be left in the dust. If we turn around and go back to what was yesterday, I mean, there's nothing wrong with celebrating yesterday and having wonderful memories of what God did yesterday, then we're backsliding. Would you say amen to that? And so there's only one way to, to, to go, and that's for the child of God and for the church of God to press forward in our daily walk with God, and we absolutely must encourage ourselves and encourage others in the Lord by doing what? Reading the Word and praying. Pressing in to the Word of God and hearing what the Lord says to what the Lord has declared to this generation. And we need to listen for the Spirit's voice to our heart because God is speaking to His people. And we also must be a people of faith. When Jesus returns, he said, I will be looking for faith. Will, I, will the Son of Man find faith upon the earth? And, and that faith is not only looking back and thanking God for his work in our lives and our family and our church, but looking forward with great anticipation to what God is up to in our midst and what he's going to be doing and how he's going to be planting the seed of expectancy into our hearts that we can have dreams and visions for the future. God wants to reveal to us the plans that he has. As he said of Abraham once to the other two angels who had come down to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, he said, shall we hide from Abraham, seeing that he is a man of God and that he's a man who will charge his children after him? That shall we hide what we're about to do, what God is going to do? And God feels the same way. The secret of the Lord, Psalms 25 says, is with those who fear him. My friend, if you are a child of God, the Spirit of Christ is in you. And the Spirit of Christ is speaking to you. You need to tune up your ears and hear. Clean the spiritual earwax out of your ears so that you can hear what the Spirit of the Lord is saying to the church in this day. And when you do that, you will have great expectations. Ephesians 3.20 in our text is now to him who is able to do what? Exceedingly, abundantly, above all, all, A-double-L, that we can ask or imagine. According to what? According to the power that works in us. The Spirit of Christ is working in us. And the Spirit of Christ and God's plan is, is that we are tools in his hand to fulfill his purposes in this season of time in our life and in this community and in this church. And over the past uh, few weeks, well, over the last month, because it's been kind of 
uh, you know, taken time out for other things on Sunday morning, so it hasn't been consistent. But uh, I've given uh, scriptural examples of the fulfillment of great expectations from the scriptures. And first one, my first message <clears throat> was uh, back in January was Acts chapter three, <clears throat> and it was Peter and John on their way to the prayer meeting at the temple at the appointed time. Uh, you want to you want to have encounters with God? Uh, you need to be in prayer at the appointed time. You need to be a people that seeks the face of God at the appointed time. And now is that time. Now is that time. I've encouraged you to find an altar, not just here at church on Sunday mornings, but find an altar in your home. Find an altar, whether it's in front of your living room sofa, your chair, down in the basement where it's quiet, uh, in your bedroom, kneeling uh, at the foot of the, of the bed and calling out to God and seeking his face. God is longing to put a seed, a dream into your soul of what God wants you to do in this season of time to make a difference. And Peter and John made a difference because they had a, a run-in with a guy who had been set at, I think it was uh, 38 years, if I remember right off the top of my head, who had been laid there at the gate beautiful in the temple to beg alms of those who were passing by. He looked up at Peter. Peter looked at him. It was a divine encounter. Peter's eyes locked with his. This man looked at him expecting, say expecting, expecting to receive something from him. This man got more than he expected. He got a surprise that day. He was wanting a coin to be tossed in or some kind of sustenance that would help him to live because he was a beggar, because he couldn't work. And instead, he found a divine healing, an appointment with God who would raise him up from his condition and turn his life around that his life would never be the same. And the lives of those who witnessed the great miracle, their lives were never the same either. 3,000 people got saved that day. 3,000 men. Doesn't include women and children. The second uh, illustration that I gave you in message uh, last week was from, or two weeks ago, was from Mark chapter 10. And uh, uh, here in Mark chapter 10, there was a blind man. You remember the blind man? Can I ask you this? Do you remember when you were spiritually blind? And the Spirit of God, because you were born again, because you believed in Jesus, he opened up your eyes and you could see? And this blind man uh, heard that Jesus was passing by, and he heard the commotion. What does this mean? And they said, well, Jesus of Nazareth is going by. And this blind man had heard about him. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. I emphasized to you uh, a couple of weeks ago is that this man heard about Jesus from somebody. And there are people out there who are spiritually blind who are waiting to hear about Jesus of Nazareth from you because you know him. Because you understand the power that he has to change lives and to open up blind eyes and open up deaf ears and to do miracles and go beyond what that person is expecting. And you need to be that person to tell other people about Jesus. Would you say amen to that? You know, we've been praying for revival. There's incredible revival going on in Asbury College, and it's just a hotbed for revival, an incredible place. And, uh, uh, and it has spread to Lee University and several other universities. In fact, Asbury opened up two more chapels to, you know, to have more prayer meetings on, on the campus because God is, is moving and the Spirit of God has not lifted there yet. But it is a powerful, transcending, changing uh, atmosphere where the Spirit of God is dropping seeds of vision and dreams and missions into the hearts of students and adults as well. 
And we need to be a part of that, but we will find that when we begin to humble ourselves before the Lord. Now, today's uh, uh, illustration is taken from John chapter 5. In John's Gospel chapter 5, he tells about Jesus who was uh, there uh, to uh, have a feast in Jerusalem. uh, And uh, Jesus went up to Jerusalem, John uh, chapter 5 verse uh, 1 says. And and he says, now they're in, in Jerusalem by the Sheep Gate Pool which is called in Hebrew Bethsaida, having five porches. And he talks about the porches or porticles that are there and describes it, John does. And if uh, you lived in that day, then you would know exactly what he meant by John was telling his audience it happened right there at that place, at that particular place uh, in, in the, at the Sheep Gate. People were familiar with it. The Sheep Gate was a place where the sacrificial lambs would pass through on their way to the temple to be sacrificed to the Lord. Verse number three says that there lay a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting. What were they waiting for? They had expectations. They were down and out. They were crippled. They were, uh, they were not able to function as a normal human being in their body, of a healthy body, would be able to function. And they were waiting for the moving of the water, for the stirring of the water, Can I tell you that in this day is that God is stirring the waters, that there is opportunities for incredible miracles today because God himself is stirring the waters. He didn't send an angel, but he sent his spirit, and the spirit of God is stirring the waters, the waters of revival, the waters of healing, the waters of deliverance. And that great multitude that was laying there of sick people, blind, lame, and paralyzed, waiting for the stirring of the water. And it says why in verse number four. Because an angel would go down at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water. And then whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made well of whatever disease that they had. Now that's an interesting thing. Can I tell you that the scripture is going to be fulfilled is the... the the first will be last, and the last will be first in this little story that we have today. The name of the pool, Bethsaida, in Aramaic, is, it literally means, it's translated, house of mercy. Have there ever been a time in our lives, in fact, in my life every day, that I don't need God's tender mercies? Is there ever a day that goes by that you don't need to fall on His mercy? Mercy is not getting what you deserve. Mercy is referred to as the loving kindness of God, and this is the house of mercy. Now, notice that these people with various diseases had their expectant hope placed in the hands of an angel who would stir the waters of the pool, and they had great expectations of being healed, of having literally the status quo in their lives changed from the current reality to a God reality. And in particular, John mentions a certain man in, the, in, in his gospel, in this story. He says a certain man. He doesn't give his name. Bartimaeus, we had his name, the Bartimaeus, the blind man. But this was a certain man. And you know, I think that there's always certain men, certain women, who are in a condition of infirmity, uh, of being not maybe just physically paralyzed, but paralyzed emotionally, mentally, or spiritually paralyzed, uh, that need a touch from God. They need to step into the waters of restorative healing power that God has by his anointing, the river of his anointing. This certain man was there. He had an infirmity for 38 years. Say 38 years. 
You can imagine yourself being paralyzed, and that was his condition. He was paralyzed for 38 years. Now, this man uh, would be laid there by possibly, probably friends or family, uh, laid there each day because he had enough faith, didn't have a lot of faith, but he had enough faith against his doubts to be set there every day. After all, what else did he have to do during the day? So he would come there and then lay his pallet or his mat out, and he would lay on that, and he'd wait for the stirring of the waters. Now, this was hope against hope. Some of you might say that this is going to be a story of resurrected hope for the hopeless, because this man uh, really had no one to put him into the water. And so he was laying there. The first one in gets healed, and, and how's a paralytic going to be put be first getting into the water? Can I tell you that in God's economy, in God's world, the first is last and the last is first, is that God doesn't care whether you're first or last, but he just wants you to get into the water. Somebody say amen. He, he had his whole place in an urban legend. And some call it, uh, Bible scholars and theologians call it a superstition that people without hope Uh, bought into somehow that they were fools to buy into this because this really didn't happen. In fact, some theologians point out to the foolishness of a false hope and call it a false hope. But from my way of thinking, every time I read this story, something must have happened at some point to cause so many people to believe in a miracle. There's a lot of people in today and some theologians who criticize uh, uh, people who are of the Spirit uh, who believe that that God is a God you can feel. God is a God that touches his people. God is a God who manifests his Holy Spirit so that people don't have to live and try to walk in a dead and dry and dusty religion, simply going through the motions of religiosity and obedience, but we can walk in obedience to the will of God and to the purposes of God and the word of God, but we can also have a God that we can feel. Aren't you excited about that? I remember at our last pastor at the last uh, year that we were there, there was a, 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 a mother, a wife and mother, who uh, came with one of her three children to church on a Sunday morning at our little church on the prairie <clears throat> out there in Highway 2 in Stanley, North Dakota. And she came and showed up for church. Well, she was a member of a, an, another uh, denomination and uh, some of the friends who knew her in a small town, everybody knows everybody. And they went up to her after the church was over and said, what are you doing here? Don't ever do that to people. Would you? <laughs> Just welcome them. Uh, but uh, she started crying. And, she, and they looked at her curiously. Why is she crying? And the tears were going down her face and her daughter was looking up at her like, you know, mom, what's going on? And she said, I'm here because God wanted me to hear that sermon. God spoke directly to me. And she later testified that I never knew or understood. I've been in church since I was a, a baby, taught Sunday school for years, and I never knew that you could feel the Holy Spirit. Can I tell you, you Pentecostals here, Don't take for granted what God has given to you. Don't ever let it get old and stale. Always rejoice that he's a God that touches. He's a God that you can feel. And listen, this wouldn't be the first time that God used the foolish to confound the wise. (coughs) Excuse me. God 
is a God who uses the foolish, he tells the Corinthians, Paul does, that to confound the wise of this world, to confound them in their, in their wisdom. Because I'll tell you what, um, some of these uh, theologians who don't believe in the Spirit of God and the manifestations of the Spirit in this day and age are simply wrong, and more sadly, they're missing out on what God wants for them. Would you say amen to that? Now, there's, there's, uh, this is not the first time that God used the foolish to confound the wise. In, in fact, Moses in the Old Testament, can I give you some examples? Uh, this pool was a point of contact uh, for those people who were sick and were diseased, and their hope was that the angel would come down, stir the waters, and there'd be a miracle, and I'd be the recipient of the miracle this time. Moses had a shepherd's staff, and God just gave, he, you know, give me your staff, and God gave it back. It's no longer a shepherd's staff, but then, from then on, it was known as the, as the rod of God. What do you have that you can give to the Lord that God can give back to you to be something of the miraculous? Now, what did Moses do with that rod? He raised it up, as God told him, and the Red Sea parted, and the children of Israel went to the other side on dry ground, away from their enemies. And when they got across, Moses put the staff down, and the sea covered up their enemies and destroyed them. Moses used that staff when they were in the wilderness, and they had no water to drink in the desert. They were thirsty, and the Israelites were clamoring, you know, we're thirsty, we're going to die without water. There was no water there anyplace. And God says, uh, speak to the rock. Well, Moses struck the rock with the rod of God, and water gushed out. And there was enough water to, to, to satisfy the needs of all the livestock, including the million and a half to two million Israelites that were there in the wilderness. God provides, and he used a silly thing like a rod. Somebody say amen. There was a time when they wandered through the wilderness. They were looking for water again, and they came across this body of water, and it was enough water to satisfy all their needs, but they uh, took a taste of it, and it was bitter, which really means it was poisonous. There was, it was just foul, and they couldn't drink it. They began to murmur again, and, and Moses said, cut off, uh, uh, cut off a branch from this tree and throw it in there. And they did exactly that. They took another drink and the water was instantly pure and clean. Probably the best water they ever had in their life. You know, there was, there was nothing, listen, nothing magical about that tree branch or that tree. Some people are trying to think, well, I wonder what the, the, uh, that tree, it's probably not in existence anymore. It's probably extinct. But there must have been some healing thing in that tree. No, it was simply a tool that God used to confound the wise of this world and he's still doing it today. It was simply obedience. It was a point of contact. God said, take that and cut it off. What did that tree represent? If you're looking at types and shadows of old things from the Old Testament that come to place, it is the Calvary's cross that makes our lives sweet. Throw it into your bitter, poisonous water in your soul, and it'll make it sweet. God uses foolish things to confound the wise. Another example, 2 Kings chapter 2, verses 7 through 8, Elijah uh, he comes across and it says that there's a company, in verse number 7 says there's a company of 50 of the sons of the prophets went and stood at a distance facing Elijah and Elisha as the two of them stood by the Jordan River. And verse number 8 says, and Elijah took his cloak, rolled it up, and he struck the waters with it. And, and what happened is they parted from the right to the left so that the two of them crossed over on dry ground. God is still doing miracles today. 
God makes bridges and ways to cross over into the land where God wants you to be to fulfill your purposes in this season of time miraculously even when there isn't a bridge. God makes a way. Somebody say amen. Now another thing that God used, uh, and uh, let me just tell you, Elijah's bones. I should say Elisha's bones, Elisha's bones. 2 Kings chapter 13, verse 21, talks about uh, how he'd been dead. Uh, he's in a tomb, and it says that uh, in verse 21 of chapter 13 of 2 Kings, that once when some of the Israelites were burying a man, so they're in the place of the burial grounds, and they spied a band of these raiders, and so they hastily threw the corpse into the tomb of Elijah and fled. But as soon as his body touched Elisha's, Elisha's bones, the dead man re- revived and jumped up onto his feet. Can you imagine that dying and then waking up in a, in a graveyard, touching Elisha's bones, and it brought life into you? Now, can I tell you there's no magic in Elisha's bones? They were just bones. But God used them as a symbol, as a sign, as a point of contact to confound the wise of this world, to do a miracle that is incredible. Now, there was also Jesus' robe. Uh, was a point of contact for the woman with the issue of blood to be healed. You remember that? And many others as well. Because once she pressed through, saying to herself in her, Ill, in her illness and in her weakness, in her, in her, uh, uh, in, in her condition, she crawled in and said to herself, if I could just touch the hem of his garment... I know I'm going to be healed. Now, who put that into her head? The Holy Spirit. And she began to crawl in, press in through the crowd, and she touched the hem of his garment, and instantly she was healed. And Jesus knew immediately that virtue had gone out of his body. Now, there was nothing magical in the robe that Jesus wore. It was simply that this woman was listening to the voice of the Spirit and said that if you obey in this foolish thing and just touch the hem of his garment, that you're going to be healed. She believed God, she pressed in, she made an effort, she put feet behind her dreams, and she fulfilled, and God touched her and healed her. And because of that, word spread throughout the whole area. Other people who were sick began to press in to touch the hem of his garment, and they were healed too. Amen. Remember something crazy? Something really nutty? And it's like, God, you know, what are you thinking? This is just crazy. People are never going to believe this, but it happened. In Acts chapter 5, verse 10, it says that sick people were brought out onto the streets on beds and mats so that what? So that Peter's shadow might fall across of them as, they, as he went by. And they were healed from Peter's shadow touching him. Now, was Peter's shadow magical? Was Peter's shadow? No. Faith, faith motivated those people to step out there and to believe that somehow hope against hope, illogical, foolish, is that if Peter's shadow falls on me, I'm going to get up and I'm going to be healed. It was a point of contact. There was the time Paul's uh, apron, napkin, or, you know, uh, uh, handkerchief uh, in Acts chapter 19, verse 12, is it said that God did <clears throat> extraordinary miracles. Say extraordinary. <laughs> Beyond Extraordinary miracles. God's always doing miracles. Sometimes they're just extraordinary. And, and, and through the hands of Paul... And the other apostles, so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched him were healed of demons, uh, and uh, were healed, and demons left as the power of God released them from bondage, and they rose up and were made whole. Now, was it something magical? 
in an apron or a handkerchief. You know, I've got a handkerchief here, and I think I, I don't remember if I blew my nose on it yet this morning, but if you want to be healed. <laughs> no. It was the healing virtue of the power of the anointing of the Spirit of God. But how was it activated? It was activated when these people said, I believe. Believe in something foolish. You know, there's people today who will tell you, you are a fool because you believe in Jesus. You know, the Super Bowl ads were criticized and made fun of by politicians and intellectuals who thought it's just foolish and why are you allowing commercials to come on TV to tell people about Jesus that he gets us? Okay? Sometimes the foolish things have the most power to accomplish the greatest things because God is in it. Can I just tell you that? God is in it. Now, I can tell you uh, one more story here. It's a personal one. It's my spiritual father, uh, Vernon Fest. He was my pastor and my spiritual father, my mentor. And uh, Brother Fest had an eighth grade education, and he was a pastor of the church, the Assembly of God Church in Liberty, Missouri. In those days, this was the late 50s. And he came down with a blood disease called pernicious anemia. He was very, very sick. Uh, he was having to have uh, blood transfusions quite often uh, just for him to, you know, have some energy. And he was so weak and he was laying, you know, he's talking about dying. People were talking about he's going to die and his church is going to come open. It was a nice church. And some people were saying, well, maybe when he's gone, I'll get that church. Uh, you know, that's what I was told. And, and, uh, and, and listen, <laughs> he was laying on his sofa one uh, afternoon or evening, and uh, this was the age when uh, uh, some Christian programming was coming on TV. TV was still fairly new and out to the masses, and uh, Oral Roberts was on TV. He was referred to as a faith healer, but he believed God. Many miracles happened under his ministry, and as he was praying, he was ready to pray for the sick, and they're watching this, and he wanted the people, if you're sick and need a healing, why don't you just get up and hold him in his hands, as Oral Roberts would do. And he would say, just come up and <clears throat> lay your hands on the TV screen on my hands. And Sister Fess, his wife, Rita, said, Honey, why don't you get up, as Brother Roberts told you, and lay your hands? And he said, Rita, that is just foolish. That is just nonsense. And she said, Honey, please, just get up and do it. And so he said, I got up from the sofa, very weak, went over and laid my hands on. And he said, nothing extraordinary that I could feel happened. I didn't feel the presence of God or anything else, but I let him pray for me. Went back to my bed, to my couch. And he said, from that day on, every day he felt better. Next day, two days later, he felt better. Three days later, he felt better. He never had to have another transfusion. He was made completely whole. Now, was there magic in Oral Roberts' hands on a TV screen? No. Oral Roberts is the first one to tell you. It's simply a point of contact for your faith. And I'm just telling you that we need to have faith. We need to have faith. And the Spirit of God tells you to do something stupid if you have leprosy. Dip in the Jordan seven times. Just do it. Just do it. Obey God. You know, extraordinary things. Great expectations are fulfilled when we listen to the voice of God and sometimes we do something foolish. Now, sometimes you do foolish things and it's just all your imagination. But I'm telling you, when you hear God, simply obey. 
and you'll be surprised what God will do. Now, this man in our story today, the certain man, okay? Remember the certain man who was paralyzed, and he was laid there in front of this pool <clears throat> of Bethsaida. Um, he had great expectations. Uh, now, his faith was challenged every day when he wasn't healed. But what does the Bible say again in our text? To him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we can ask or imagine, according to the power that works in us. And I think one of the first things that's an incredible miracle here, and it touches my heart every time I read something like this, is my first point is that in our scripture, uh, taken from uh, John chapter 5, 6, is that Jesus saw him. What does it say? When Jesus saw him. Say Jesus saw him. Why don't, why don't you go one step further and say Jesus sees me. Whatever condition you're in, I hear you, and those watching by live stream, Jesus sees you. Somebody says, does Jesus even know what I'm going through? Oh, yes, he does. Is Jesus even, even aware of me? Oh, yes, he is. Does Jesus understand that my condition is serious? Oh, yes, he does. And I can tell you that Jesus saw this certain man, not even, I don't know if they even knew his name or it was insignificant to even know his name, but he was a certain man. And Jesus saw the certain man. He was doing what? He saw him lying there. And Jesus knew. How did he know? By the wisdom of God, by words of knowledge, the Spirit of God revealed to Jesus, and Jesus knew that he had already been in that condition for a long time. And he said to him, ask this question. And Jesus saw him, do you want to be made well? Do you want to, do you want to be healed? And, and somebody might say, every time I read this, I think, oh my gosh, what a stupid question. But Jesus wasn't asking it because he didn't know the answer. He wanted the man, okay, to wake up, to come out of his lethargy, his spiritual lethargy, and, and in his hope against hope, in his, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief, and he wanted him to answer the question in the affirmative, do you want to get well? What a question. I mean, the man might have been insulted. Maybe those around him were rolling their eyes and thinking, of course he wants to get healed. Jesus saw him. And Jesus also, as I said, sees us in our current predicaments. He sees us in situations that we are partaking in in this season of time where we ourselves may be the cause even of our own bad situations. We find out this man was the cause of his situation apparently. Sometimes we shoot our own selves in our own foot and we're the source of our own pain and yet Jesus still cares and Jesus still sees you in that condition and Jesus still loves you and Jesus still will deliver you and Jesus will still heal you despite what you've done to contribute to your situation. Aren't you glad that God is a God of mercy? Did I tell you earlier that, uh, that, uh, that the, the, the name in Aramaic was the house of mercy? Mercy. We need mercy. When Peter denied Jesus the third time on the night that Jesus was arrested and at his trial, and Peter was out in the courtyard, and, and Peter, you know, three times people came up to him and said, you're one of him, you're a Galilean, you're a follower of Jesus. And he, in his frustration and his fear and his doubt, as he's looking into the windows of the home of the high priest, and, and it says that he denied Jesus the third time and immediately the cock crowed, just like Jesus said would happen. And what does it say there in, in, in Luke chapter twenty two sixty one? 61? 
at that very moment when Peter said, I don't know him, and he was angry, frustrated, it says, at that moment, the Lord turned and looked at Peter, locked eyes with him from across the way. Peter's in front of a fire tonight. Jesus looked right out there. And Peter, what did Peter do? He ran out and wept bitterly. He repented. But Jesus looked at Peter at Peter's greatest failure. And I want to tell you here today, and I know the Holy Spirit wants me to tell somebody here today, maybe a few people, that in your greatest failure, your greatest screw-up, Jesus is looking for you. And he's looking at you. And he is not looking at you. The devil's told you that he's looking at you to condemn you, that he is fed up with you. And that's a lie from hell. Jesus is looking at you the same way he looked at Peter. And his heart's full of compassion and mercy. And he wants to restore you. Now somebody here needed to hear that. and Somebody online possibly too. But I'm just telling you, in your greatest screw-up, Jesus loves you just as much as he did when he died for you on the cross. Somebody say amen. amen. Now, the paralytic's apparent cause, as we said, of his infirmity was a punishment for the consequences of his sin because we can jump ahead several verses kind of towards the end of the story, towards the end of the story in John chapter 5, 14, because after this man was healed, uh, Jesus came and found him in the temple, and he said to him, See, you have been made well. See what God's done for you? You're healed. And then he says, sin no more, lest a worse thing come upon you. Now, if you look at the, uh, the Greek, the interpretation from the Greek, which I'm going to bore you with words I can't pronounce, but I can tell you it is an imperative and it's a command to stop sinning right now. That this man was, went right back into the sin that probably caused his punishment. And Jesus said, uh, hey, knock it off or a worse thing's going to come on you. Celebrate your freedom and live and walk in the worthiness of God. But despite the sin of this man's life, Jesus saw him and he had compassion on him and he healed him. And, and uh, the house of mercy, the pool of Bethsaida is an incredible uh, illustration of that. Both Malachi chapter 3 verse 6 and Hebrews 13 8, they declare that God is the same always and never ever changes. Did you know that about God? He never changes. He's always good. He's always loving. He's always omniscient, omnipotent, all-powerful. No matter how this world changes around us, how the morals shift and change, we can trust that God is consistent, that he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Would you say amen to that? Now, my second point is this, is that the man did this. What was he like? He bemoaned his victim status. And I, I think that is so relevant. And in fact, when you've been going through a hard time and a trial and going through difficulty in your life, sometimes we can get discouraged and we can start fellowshipping, as I said before in this series, fellowshipping more about our problem than the problem solver. That we can become discouraged and we can bemoan our condition. We can look for excuses. You know, I don't know where God's at. I just don't, you know, I don't think God really understands. I think God's abandoned me. Well, that's a lie from hell as well. Would you say amen to that? 
Aren't we commanded to take every thought captive and to the obedience of Christ and things that are contrary to the Word of God and the promises of God? Yes, we are. Uh, he bemoaned his victim status. There's a lot of victims in this world who need to find victory. You know, God doesn't intend for you to walk in your past and in the, the punishment of things that happened to you in the past and relive them over and over again in your mind. You know, I'm just uh, standing up here looking back at the back and I see uh, Pastor Diana back there and I love Pastor Diana. She's like a sister to Donna and I and she's like family to us. I love you, Pastor. Love you, Diana. Um, you mean everything to us. But I remember Diana grew up in a, in a home where she was rejected and abused and terrible things happened. And yet she doesn't bemoan that. She's not a victim. She's a victor. Because through Christ, amen. Through Christ and the renewing of her mind and finding out who she is in Christ, all the lies and the curses have been, uh, 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 have been laid upon her have fallen to the ground uh, just like uh, swords and bullets that didn't hit their mark. They just came up and fell to the ground because she knew who she was in Christ, is that she is a new person, a new creature in Christ. And, and because of that, she's able to rise above her past and not become a victim of it, reliving it throughout her life, but finding victory to where she could enter in and serve the Lord with great power and great effect. God wants that for you. What does the man say in verse 7? The sick man answered Jesus, do you want to get well? And he said, sir, I don't have anybody to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. But while I'm coming, and when I'm trying to crawl to the water, another one steps in before me. And, and what he was saying is that I'm a victim. I don't have anybody to help me. And, and from John's brief account, we begin to get some hints about the invalid's character, maybe about what he's living through. And, and again, it was tainted by 38 years of suffering. Can we, so we don't want to judge him, but Ralph Wilson points out some things. He says, number one, this man was old. Uh, he was 38 years sick uh, as a paralytic, and in the life expectancy of, of those days, uh, uh, it was maybe about 35 on the average. You imagine that life expectancy of about 35. And, and if this man had been afflicted during his childhood, these 38 years, he might be like 40 to 50 years old, which was old at the time. Secondly, he was dependent. He probably relied on others to, uh, to bring him, uh, take him home, and support him. If he couldn't take care of himself, then, well, it was, it, he was probably dirty and smelly. You know, he couldn't wash his clothes, couldn't uh, dress himself very good, so maybe he just old and smell. And then uh, third, he was a complainer. And I'm not bashing people who are discouraged and going through times of, you know, sometimes we complain about our situation until we get a revelation. Did you hear that? We complain about our situation until we get a revelation. And the revelation is from the Spirit of God and the Word of God of who I am in Christ. God didn't intend for me to be a victim. But this man complains about how long he's been an invalid. He complains that he doesn't have anybody to help me to get into the pool. And he was also a blamer. And that's what happens sometimes when we go through hard times. We blame others. We blame the situation. We blame the government. We blame the doctor. We blame our spouse. We blame our parents. There's not very much mileage in that. It doesn't get you anything. You might feel better for a little bit because you can blame someone else, but uh, when he was confronted by the Jews for carrying up his pal after he was healed, he blames Jesus. <laughs> it's like, Jesus told me to get up and do it. 
And lastly, uh, Ralph Wilson said, well, not lastly, but the ones I'm using, just using five, that he was a sinner. And it was serious enough for Jesus to confront him in the temple in 14th verse and warn him to either stop sinning or something worse is going to come up on you. Now, my third point is this. Jesus, and I'm going to have the worship team to come back because I'm going to finish pretty quickly. Verses 8 and 9 of chapter 5. Jesus resurrects his expectations. Jesus resurrected his hopes. Jesus resurrected his dreams that maybe someday, maybe I might be healed. Maybe I will walk again. Maybe I will be a whole person again. Verse number 8 says, Jesus said to him, rise and take your bed and walk. In other words, you don't have to get into the pool. I'm speaking the word of healing over you. It doesn't say Jesus touched him. It doesn't say like in Acts chapter 3, like Peter, Jesus didn't get down and grab him by the hands and pull him to his feet. He just said, rise up and take your bed and walk. He made him a command. And what does the Bible say in verse 9? It says immediately. Say immediately. When God speaks, it's done just like that. Immediately the man was made well and he took up his bed and walked. He did exactly what he was told. Now I think that took faith. This guy still had a little bit of faith in him to obey God. He gets up immediately, takes up his bed, and he walks home. And, and the Bible goes on to say, I'm not going to read the whole story, but it was the Sabbath day. And so the religious leaders, the Pharisees, begin to ask him, why are you working on the Sabbath? Well, the one who healed me told me to pick up my bed and walk. Now, <clears throat> hear this. The one who healed me, Pharisees, religious, <laughs> religious people, legalists, those who are critical of everything that doesn't fit their narrative, they, they skip by the part where he who healed me. Okay, he healed me. Now, if I was of that sect, and I say this, is I would say, wait a minute, you got healed? Tell me about it. But instead, well, you're not supposed to be working on the Sabbath. There are people, when God does something in your life to transform you and change you, is that the religious people of this world, many of them are going to be Pharisaic and they're going to challenge you on what God did for you. But I can tell you for certainty that God is a God of miracles. Jesus resurrected his expectations. Rise up, take your bed. The man's hopes that were disappointed every day that he was laid on the mat in front of the pool of Bethsaida. But when Jesus saw him, he gave him more than this he bargained for. When Jesus asked him, if you want to get, do you want to get well, it seemed to be an insult and adding insult to injury. It seemed to be a cruel question. But Jesus wanted him to decide if he was willing to leave his life of victimhood and to get up from his mat of dead hopes and disappointed dreams and rise up on the wings of great expectations and dream to live a life that he never thought was possible. What does it mean to pick up your bed and walk? God, listen to this, God created us to get up and walk, not to lie down in disappointment. Spiritually speaking, many people today in the church are lying down paralyzed by their sins and disappointments and hurts. But God sent Jesus to save us from our sins and to raise our expectations and hopes. He sent Jesus and the Holy Spirit to plant seeds and dreams inside your soul of what might be if I just believe God. 
It's time for the pity party to end. Hear, hear me, I'm saying it in love. It's time for the pity party to end. It's time to rise up from the victim mat and walk in the power of God. It's time to stop fellowshipping around my infirmity or my troubles and to walk in the newness of life. Time for a new beginning and it's time for, to stop sinning and to live for him, the one who healed me of my sins. I read this a long time ago. Maybe Larry Merrill sent it to me. So if you don't like it and you're insulted by it, you can, you can get mad at Larry. Okay. Uh, but here it is. Breaking news. The pity train has just derailed at the intersection of suck it up and move on. And it's crashed into we all gave problems before, before coming to a complete stop at get the heck over it. Any complaints about how we operate can be forwarded to 1-800-WAH-WAH. This is Dr. Sniffle reporting from Quit Your Fussin'. And I'm just saying, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, I command you to rise up and walk. I command you to be whole. In the name of Jesus, I proclaim it over you. In the name of Jesus, I urge you and I plead with you to believe God to step out in faith and to believe God for greater things. Yeah, your reality might be cruel. Your reality might be harsh and hard. But there is a God who gives your seeds and dreams to believe for a greater future and great expectations of something else God will do. God has great expectations for this church and he wants us to get on his, get on his, uh, uh, on his side and believe with him. Rise up and walk in the name of Jesus. Would you stand with me today and bow your heads in prayer? I'm going to ask the anointers to come at this time, uh, just to, in fact, maybe the anointers won't come. We're out of time, so, but uh, you come and pray for people. I'm going to ask you, just in closing, that if you need a fresh touch from God, a fresh vision, fresh dream, if you've been going through a hard time and you're, you're in a situation where the status quo is very unpleasant. I'm just going to ask you, whether it's health-wise or financial-wise or whatever it is, or, or if you're bound in some type of, uh, of, of bondage that you need to be freed from, I'm going to ask you to step out immediately and come to the front and just line up across the front. And what I'm going to do is ask the anointers to stand behind them after you line up all the way across the front. Just come forward. Whatever your situation, whatever your problem is, whatever you're struggling with, if you're the one, listen, if you were the one uh, or a few that the word of knowledge was for, that the Spirit of the Lord spoke to you today, step out in faith and just believe God. And I'm going to ask the rest of you that as the worship team leads us in worship is that you extend your hands this way and if you're an anointer, and you feel the Spirit of the Lord, uh, Lord uh, speaking to you to come and pray for some of these folks, you come forward and pray. Amen. Amen. So, Father, move by your Spirit. Speak the word, Lord, over the people of God to take up their mat and walk. Lord, to rise up and move forward. Lord, to forget about the yesterdays, the pains of yesterday and the problems of yesterday. Forget about their victim status and move into the victory status. And Father, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
Amen.